Today our scripture lesson comes from one of my most favorite chapters of the whole Bible, Acts chapter 2. Let's share God's good word together. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. friends the midterms are over kind of right and everybody's being nice all of a sudden right well maybe not yet we still got some work to do it's you know it's kind of always been like that all the way back to jesus time and they, i think the early church has some things to teach us which is why we named the church acts two in the first place What I want you to know today is that in the Roman Empire, what was compelling about Christians was not what they believed. It's how they behaved. Let me say that again. The example set before us in the book of Acts chapter 2 is that what was compelling about Christians is not what they believed, but how they behaved. What do you think about that? Let's do that again. Right? That's worth doing. And it might just help create a more perfect union. That's the way we behave. When you look back at that early church, it was a community of believers, and they decided they would radically devote their lives to the country. No. To party. No. To Jesus alone. To Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, actually caring for one another to the breaking of bread in their homes and in the temples and praying for one another and for the world. And it changed the world. Andy Stanley, in his um, book, uh, In It to Win It, um, he uh, goes on to tell us about um, these people that prayed fervently, loved irrationally, and gave extravagantly to all as any had need. Right? They, weren't, they weren't checking their party affiliation. Andy Stanley says it like this, the message of Jesus in that day was considered weak, actually offensive, appalling. Christians refused to abandon the sick. Others did. They adopted abandoned children. Others left them. They extended compassion and generosity to people and groups who could not or would not return the favor. That was deemed unwise. The Christians deemed women equal to men. Others did not. Slaves were being treated as brothers. In the end, what was considered appalling became contagious. Let's do that again. Right? So in the first century, the cross 
was the worst thing that could happen to you. It's the worst thing that could happen to anybody. It represented death and cruelty. One of the things that you know, we struggle with as Protestants is our crosses are pretty. They are. And because and it, it's good news for us. But it wasn't in Jesus' day. It was terrible. But by the 5th century, friends, the cross had been transformed. It represented, now it represents life and the love of God, which is why we have it where we have it. No longer death, but life. No longer cruelty, but hope. And how did this happen? Well, pretty simply, Christians welcomed those outside the faith. Can you imagine Christians actually talking to people who weren't Christians? Wow. You see, that's, that's how the church grows, by the way. It, right? If, if we only talk to each other, then the Christian church is always one generation away from extinction. Right? If, if nobody else joins, if nobody else comes on the cause of Christ, then, that, then that's the end of it. Fortunately, that's not the case. Our church um, tradition is that the first followers of Jesus were sold out for him. And they would meet people where they were. And they would love them where they were. And that would change the world. The great church planter, the Apostle Paul, would go from country to country. Not just town to town, but actually nation to nation. People that spoke different languages even. Had different cultures, different beliefs. And in 1 Corinthians 9, we see this story about Paul going to the early church in Corinth. And this is what he writes uh, back to the church in Corinth that he had started. He says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious people, non-religious people, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists. Can you imagine being friends with both? Paul did. The defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Now, he says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. That'll change the world. Friends, when's the last time you really made an effort to experience things from another person's point of view? To say, how, how did they come to that conclusion? What truth is there in what they see? How is that different than what I believe? How can we find a common thread and move forward together for a more perfect union, for a better world? You see, Paul is making clear that the Christian is free. We really are free indeed. We, we sang that this morning, except from the obligation to love. And that's a big except. And, and who do we love? Everyone. So now we are free to serve in Christ. We have the power to serve in Christ. We have the power to do things, to say yes to the things God wants us to say yes to, and to say no to the things that God knows that would bring harm to us or to others. That's real power, free to serve. And like Paul, we correctly and courageously refuse to politicize the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church of Jesus. Because we're to reach all nations, not half of one nation. Now we refuse to alienate half of our community. By siding with one party over another. We're just not going to do it. Did you know that right now you might be sitting next to a Democrat? You might be sitting next to a Republican. Or sitting in front of you might be a Libertarian. Or behind you an Independent. What are we going to do? It's fine. It's actually what the church is meant to be. Not just of one country, but of all countries. When we say the Holy Catholic Church, what we're talking about are people from every tribe, every nation, because God's kingdom has no boundary, has no time frame. 
We'll say this at Christmas. We say it every year that Christ's kingdom has no end. The Messiah has come. And that's good news. Ed Stetzer, um, who is used to working in college arenas, he puts a point on it. He says, you can't hate people and engage them with the gospel at the same time. Duh. Right? You can't war with people and show the love of Jesus. You can't be both outraged and on mission. And and this is not true just for um, church life. It's also true for our political life. When our political life is working well, um, we do well to place our hand over our heart and say, yes, we do believe in one nation, not two parties, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Because if it is not liberty and justice for all, it's not indivisible. Right? We do, you understand this. Not for long. So this all goes together. One nation under God, indivisible, when there's liberty and justice for everyone, not just for some. Now, this brings us to basically our fallen nature. We, every morning, uh, on Sunday mornings, we say, good morning, saints, and y'all say, good morning. And then we say, good morning, sinners, and some of you say, good morning. And, but that, that's who we are, right? We are both of these things in need of God's help. And, and part of our sinful nature is the, this thing called fundamental attribution error. You may have heard that term. Fundamental attribution error describes our tendency to attribute people's behavior to their character while attributing our behavior to our circumstances. Isn't that true? Somebody makes a bad decision, and we go, we knew it, they're bad people. That's a bad person. We do the exact same thing, and we go, it's the only choice I had. What was I supposed to do? The circumstances were such that I didn't have any other good choices. This is what I needed to do. You see the difference? This is simply how people are made. And unless we have a power greater than ourselves, this is where we'll stay. And it will divide anything that you're a part of. It's not just about country. It's not just about church. It's about, you know, everything all the way down to a Boy Scout or Girl Scout troop or, uh, you know, any, any sort of civic organization, any sort of organization you're about. If you think that everybody else is bad every time they do something bad and you get a pass because it's about your circumstances, that does not work. So we just, we have to get past that. But to put it more simply, you can't judge others at their worst and expect them to judge you at your best. Right? That's why Jesus says, don't judge. Because when you do... It hurts you and them. It's, and this is the thing I hope that you, you get as you're a part of our community. When Jesus says something, when God says something through the scriptures or through the prophets, it's not because he's trying to get you to be a good person. It's because it's for your good. It's for the good of the world. It's for the good of the way things work. And so when you hear a prophetic voice, it's to say, look, if you don't change this justice piece or you don't change this helping piece, there is going to be trouble. And it's coming fast. That's what prophets do. That's why nobody likes them. Right? Uh, I'm often um, encouraged to give a really strong prophetic sermon, and I will the day before I retire. Because your prophetic sermon is always your last sermon. That's just how it works. Because there are things that need to be said, but man, people don't like to hear it. And this is one of the most disturbing things that's going on in our country currently. And that is the pre Pew Research Center. Uh, recently came out with this um, in 2019, and it it has to do with this fundamental attribution error. They report that 55% of Republicans and 47% of Democrats view members of the other party, like anybody affiliated with those groups, as more immoral than the average American. 
It's not just that they don't agree. It's that they're worse than people that don't even vote. And that's going, that's going to be a problem if that doesn't change. You see, what we've been talking about for the last two weeks and now three weeks now is that the number one enemy of the church is division, right? The number one enemy of the nation is what? Division. It just is. That's why you see in the New Testament over and over and over again, Jesus' last prayer is that we would be one, that we'd be completely one, that you would be one as the Father and I are one, Jesus says in the, in the Gospel of John. And Paul writes about it. He says, you know what's going to break up the church? You know what's going to break up a country? You know what divides a nation? Enmity, strife, things like these, he says. That's in Galatians. And, and Jesus knew that this was the case. And he said so. Many, this next statement has been often attributed to either Abraham Lincoln or other political figures. But Jesus said at first, he says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household, all the way down to the household, divided against itself will not stand. It will fall, Jesus says. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is. Says the master of the universe. We ought to pay attention. So, it won't shock you that if this is the case, the number one most important thing to Jesus is what? Unity. Of course it is. Because if division hurts you and harms you and hurts God's people, then of course Jesus wants unity. Unity. And you say, well, come on now, Pastor. You're being a little Pollyanna. Like, let's get real. Like, we're living in the real world. Well, yeah, I get it. Disagreement is unavoidable. We're going to disagree, right? Because unity is not unanimity. Unity is not sameness. Unity is not uniformity. Unity requires a vision greater than yourself. That is true, right? You have to be unified with a greater purpose. And for us, that's Jesus. Lord of all time, all places, all boundaries, right? Beyond all of it. So disagreement is unavoidable. I'll give you that. But division is a choice. Say that with me. Division is a choice. And it is at your Thanksgiving table in less than two weeks. It just is. And let's be honest. There are people in this room that thought, "Mm, I don't know if I'm inviting them this year. Because what they said last year was, "Mm, I don't know. They're political wackadoos. I don't don't know if we're going to do that. Or you may be deciding, I'm not sure I'm going to go to, you know, grandpa's because it's grandpa. Or whatever it is. But friends, make no mistake, Jesus' call on our lives is for unity and for love and for grace and for forgiveness and for mercy and for compassion. Disagreement's unavoidable, I'll give you that. But division, that's a choice. That's a choice. And it is our our division and disagreements over the last five years in particular um, are having some pretty big effects. Nearly one in five voters, 19% uh, to be specific, said that politics hurt and is hurting their relationships with their family and their friends. So much so that many of those, not quite 19%, but, you know, it's not a little bit, say they're not even talking to them anymore. We have actual families that are estranged because they saw the presidential election differently. They're not even talking to each other anymore. It ought not be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus' love and power is greater. And you don't have to agree with somebody to love them. You just don't. See, Jesus' followers have a specific responsibility to live differently from the rest of the world. Not like the rest of the world, right? We don't take our cues from the culture. Paul writes it like this in Corinthians. He says, now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all be in agreement and that there be what? No divisions among you. Disagreement? Sure. Divisions? No. But that you be what? United. In the same mind, same purpose. That's our, that's our call. So, we, again, we don't take our cues from culture. We take our cues from who? Christ. Right. 
And so what does that mean? What does that look like? We'll say that's, that's nice, but how does that actually affect the way we live? Well, for us around here, uh, when it comes to Christmas time, most people in the culture um, are already doing their shopping. That may be you already because their kids want stuff uh, or, you know, their families have a certain tradition and they, they spend their money in a certain way. We don't live like that here. What we do here is we ask you each and every year to look at what you're spending, to cut that back and to give Jesus a dollar more than you spend on your own kids. Because whose birthday is it? Jesus' birthday. It's not your kid's birthday. And how many gifts did Jesus get? Three. Now, albeit, those are some pretty good gifts. Gold's a good gift, right? But, I mean, I would just say it like this. We used to tell our kids this. If you're getting more than three gifts, you're getting more than Jesus did on his birthday. I mean, seriously. Now, let's, let's put this in perspective about what, what we're doing, what this is about, what, the, what we're doing when we say Merry Christmas. What, what does that mean? Right? So for us, we take the money that's given on Christmas Eve, which most years has been about $85,000, which is great, which, which I know is not what we spend on ourselves for Christmas, but at least we're getting closer, right? We're moving in the right direction. And we take that money and we do things like go to Guatemala, where we put in water wells. So far, we put in 34 water wells for different communities that are saving thousands, tens of thousands of lives that are monitored for life. So that they continue to work. And not only that, it transforms the communities that they're in. We're going to do another one in just a few weeks in December. Uh, Chantel's going on that trip. She'll let you know all about it here the first week of December. And so what happens is when you go on these trips, this was the last trip I was on, you meet these beautiful little kids. Right? See how sad they are? No. They're thrilled. They're happy. They've got no worries. I never want some on their cell phone. Worried about their Instagram account. Not once. They were free. Free indeed. And I met the matriarch of the, of the community, Sixta. Beautiful lady. And the reality of her life was they had moved here. They didn't have clean water. People uh, die of, of diarrhea and other waterborne illnesses. Because this well that she's pulling water from, they don't have the ability to dig it deep enough to get to clean water. So they, the water they get is contaminated with waste. Animal waste, human waste, and that's what they have to do. And it kills them. So for roughly $5,000, we can go get a rig, go deeper, and save the entire community from having to do that. And it's worth doing for lots of reasons. But one of the things I want you to know about Sixta is one day I hope to have the faith that she has. Because you'll notice this is where she lives. It doesn't even have walls, right? It's just... Uh, palm, palm branches for roofs and you know that she goes out and cut wood in the morning so that she can build the fire so she can get the water so she can boil the water so they can try to cook so they can do it over again uh, in another couple hours and and this is how big Sixta is right I mean maybe I'm that big but um this is her and she would bring us food in the in the field two three times a day when she had nothing because she's a Jesus follower. You see how much bigger this is? What we are about? And Sixta went from hut to hut. And said to the younger people in her community. You need to help me build a church. Because we need to worship Jesus. Because he is our strength and our stay and our hope and our light. And you know what they did? They gave her stuff. And they built a church. 
They, and now, it, it's open air as well. Actually, they have one wall that's enclosed. And, and we would have church together. We would sing praises to God together. We would read scripture together. And we could do that through translators and interpreters and, and just by knowing the scriptures by heart. You see, when you are a part of the kingdom of God, when you're something greater than party, greater than nation, there is joy and there's hope. And you meet beautiful young people like, like this young woman. Um, teenager, you know, around here she'd probably be you know, in mid-high, junior high, 12, 13, 14 years of age. You see how sad she is? Just terrible. I mean, that, that is a contagious smile. And she would just follow us around trying to learn English, trying to soak up every little thing that she could find. Mesmerized that anybody from the States would ever leave their home because it's so lavish. It was beyond their imagination. And yet, we are choosing to live in a culture full of cell phones that take videos, that take photos, sometimes for good, like this. But a lot of times, you know, I, I'm so grateful. Chantel and I talk about this all the time, my wife Chantel in the front row. We say, because I graduated in, in uh, 86 from high school, um, we're so grateful that people did not have a cell phone to record every stupid thing we did. From junior high to high school. And all the adults say, amen. Right? That is a weight on our kids that they ought not have to have. Because they do one wrong thing. They make one stupid move, which we have all done. Like, don't, don't try to kid the pastor. You haven't done something stupid. Right? Right? And these kids are, are banished. And it's causing all kinds of mental health problems. Suicide rates. Depression. Andy Stanley puts it very clearly. He says, in a cancel culture, which we live in, we appoint ourselves, we appoint ourselves the arbiters of right and wrong. Sounds harmless, but the reality is that if you say one thing that I disagree with or I don't like, I discount everything that you've ever said, along with everything you've ever done, everything you've ever accomplished. You're dead to me. Cancel culture is the modern version of banishment, he says. Something to think about. You see, you and I, we love and serve others because Jesus first loved us. We don't cancel people. We don't write them off. We love them because Jesus loves us. He first loved us. That's the whole point. And so we love and serve because he first loved us. Now, before we get too depressed, and there's lots to be depressed about, there's more to be happy about. There, I have hope. I want you to know this. I have hope. And it's not because of the results of the election. I have hope because of who Jesus is. And I have hope because as Americans, although we don't read this in the news much, we agree much more than we disagree. Did you know that? We actually have a whole lot in common. We do amazing things together. So here's the good news. Americans, you and I, we agree much more than you might think. We absolutely do. And all kinds of things. So I'll give you some examples. We'll just play a little game here. 67% of people support the government offering what kind of debt forgiveness? Anybody know? It's a setup. No, it's not student debt. People argue about that all the time. It's medical debt. Because people actually believe that if you have the incredible, terrible luck of getting cancer, it not not bankrupt your entire family. People agree about that. That there ought to be a way for people not to lose their entire life savings because they can't cover a medical bill with medicine that's so expensive that you simply cannot come out from under it does this make sense to you people agree on this that's not a hard one 68 percent have federal views of local anybody know police we love our police particularly if you need them you're very happy when you call them and they show up 
It's a big deal. People like the police. Almost 7 out of 10. Now, you'll get this one. 73% think, what, what profession should be paid more? Oh, yeah, y'all are so smart. You know this. And all the teachers say, amen, right? And there have been Christmases from our Christmas Eve offering where we take funds and we hold them for the next beginning of school year because we know our teachers are spending hundreds of dollars out of pocket for things they need and they know they need on a salary that's way below the national average. Now, this is a national stat, but I mean, certainly around here, we know this. We just know this to be true. They should be paid more. And before you think people are unpatriotic, they're not. Nearly 80% of folks have good opinions of the Navy and the Army and the Air Force, which is awesome news this Veterans Day weekend, right? We we appreciate those that serve God and country and and keep us safe and do good work. Now, for all these folks, though, there's a tiny bit of bad news. Marines got you beat. Everybody loves the Marines. So anyway, for all the Marines out there, Way to go. And then there are things we actually agree on even more, like race. I mean, we know this. Racial equality matters. It's super important. There's not a, really a big debate about that. 93% of folks say that privacy matters. We don't want people in our business. We don't want people recording every single thing that we say because we didn't read the 18 pages of agreement on your app. Right? You do know your phone's listening to you, right? All the time. Unless you turn it off, which is kind of hard to do. Because almost every app that you put on your phone says, I can listen to you. And they do. Which is why you go, it's reading my mind. How did they know I wanted candy tomorrow? (laughs) Because they're listening. Right? The majority of Americans believe that there are too many political ads. Right? Now, see, I thought that was going to be 100%. I was like, finally, everybody agrees. That's not the case. It's only 64%. Who are those nut jobs? (laughs) Now, I'm not modeling the behavior I'm asking you to do. But really, who wants to see more political ads? That's crazy to me. And 7 in 10 Americans believe that they do have more in common with one another than not. And we do. And that's good news. We just need to be reminded. It's just not front page news because it's boring. Right? It doesn't get people riled up and it doesn't go with the fear mongering. But it's true. We agree much more than we disagree. And we do long to be united. We really do. We want to get along, but it doesn't sell and it doesn't, you know, get votes. So regardless of who's in the White House, it doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat, people still think that the president's, one of their primary roles is to bring us together, regardless of who's in power at the time. So here's the thing that you know, and I want to remind you. We can disagree politically, we can, and we do, and we can love unconditionally, because that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus followers are. I said this last week, but I want to remind you, you don't have to agree with me to love me, which you're here, so I'm I'm sure that's the case, right? This is good news. And I don't have to agree with you to love you. And that's absolutely important because there's no way that I can agree with all of you. It's not possible. You see, I don't have to agree with you to show up for you in the hospital when you need care. I don't have to agree with you to love you and show up and bless your child, or to help you with a rowdy teenager, or to bless you as you try to care for your parents, or your siblings, or to pray with you when your marriage is falling apart, or when you've lost your job. I don't have to agree with you about all kinds of things to be able to be there for you. I mean, you realize how terrible that would be if, if we all actually had to agree about everything in order to show up for anybody, over anything, right? That would, that would not work at all. So what do we do? How do we do this? 
Well, as Jesus followers, we don't withdraw or seek control. We don't. But we rather faithfully represent the values of Jesus. Now, I will, I, will, I will give you this. When it comes to this kind of stuff, I would love to withdraw. I really do. I hear somebody saying some stuff that I just think is crazy. I'm like, I don't want to be a part of that. And most of the time, that's okay. Except when it's not. Because sometimes it's really important that, you know, kind of, okay, Jesus. And I say, or you say, I, that's not how I understand the great commandment to love one another. When Jesus says, love neighbor, love God. I just, I don't, how does that match up? I, I have to get it within me and go, I don't, I don't understand how that matches the great commandment and the great commission where Jesus says, go baptize all nations, not just some. You see how that works? It's not angry. It's not combative. It's truth. It's your truth, whatever that may be. Andy Stanley says it like this. He says, Christians in the first, second, third centuries were arrested, beheaded, fed to wild animals, and burned alive because they refused to prioritize allegiance to the state over allegiance to the commands of Christ. That's the Acts 2 people he's talking about. And, and, and he goes on to say that he finds it ironic that Christians are actually doing the exact opposite thing that cost our forerunners their lives. It's worth thinking about. You see, disparaging words about anyone who voted for that candidate actually pushed people away from Jesus. You have to be really careful about that. We're to be a winsome witness, a lover of all of God's people. And, and so we just have to know this, that all statements that begin with all Republicans or all men or all women or all Democrats, all of those are what? False. Do you know all Republicans? No. Do you know all Democrats? No. So when we do marriage counseling, we say, like, if you hear yourself saying, well, every time, well, it's not every time. It might be 99.6% of the time, but it's not every time. It's just not. And really for the young families in particular and for those of us that have older children as well, Seriously, pay attention to how you talk politics in front of your kids. It's important. You're forming them. They're watching you. And they think this is what a Christ follower does. Because they believe you to be a Christ follower. And the way you talk politics forms them. It does. Because they may not look or you know, believe what you say, but they will believe and notice what you do. So Andy Stanley actually put a point on it. He says, are you more concerned about your kids' political views or their faith? That's worth thinking about. Because you can't make disciples of people you demonize. You just can't. It doesn't work. And Jesus says very clearly in the Great Commission, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All of them. I mean, it's more than just all the people in one nation. It's all people in all nations, which is a much wider concept than people are arguing about these days. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's our call. See, Jesus' agenda encompassed all nations, specifically people from all nations. And how does that change us? Well, it drives us to places like Turkey so that we can care for Syrian refugees. When little kids, you know, have to learn how to play with trash and, and try to get along and try to survive in places where they get moved around from government to government. Try to just simply, you know, what, you know what these people want? They just want to go home. When I asked them, it's like, what do you want? They're like, I just want to go home. But it's not safe because people are dropping bombs and dropping gas on them, so they can't go home. They're not bad people. They just want what you want. Have a meal. Have a roof over their head. 
and to go home to see their family. And, and, you know, people with little babies, just trying to make it, just trying to survive. And as the love of Christ and the call of something greater than ourselves, greater than our state, greater than our nation, that moves us to care for these folks. And again, the young people are remarkable. You know, how, I don't know how these little ones have smiles on their faces and that sort of difficulty. This was in 2015 when I was there, and you all were helping um, get them shelter and stoves that they could cook on and be warm in and get them food and get them diapers for their kids and formula for the babies. You're doing that because you follow Jesus. So the real question is, will we, are we willing to prioritize our faith over our politics? Well, of course, that's who we are. And, and really, don't despair, friends. You don't despair. I'm so hopeful. Not be, again, not because of the election, but because of Jesus. Philip Yancey uh, writes this. Uh, and and I, I just, I want to share it with you. And I want, I want you to pay attention to this. Because it's really powerful, and I think most people don't get this. Those who condemn the church, and there are plenty of folks that will, and do, and have, for its blind spots, do so by gospel principles, not by the world principles. They're arguing for the very moral values that the gospel originally set loose in the world. Things that didn't exist before Jesus. Human rights, civil rights, women's rights, minority rights, gay rights, disability rights, animal rights, all of it. Right? The success of these modern movements, caring for people, reflects a widespread empathy for the oppressed that has no precedent in the ancient world. It didn't exist before Jesus. So we're being judged by the things that we brought into existence as a faith. Classical philosophers considered mercy and pity to be character defects, not, not honorable. Things like compassion to be weak. Contrary to justice, right? Not until Jesus did that attitude change. So when people knock the church, they're actually knocking the church for the things that the church brought into existence. You see that? You get that? Well, well pay attention to that. So the Jesus movement, you and I, it was characterized by uncharacteristic compassion, generosity, selflessness, and boldness. Let's do that again. Because better people make a better nation, amen? Doesn't that make sense? That's what makes a better nation, better people. And together in love, we can create a more perfect union. So here's your action steps. This is how we're going to live it out. You can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of conflict. When other people are losing their minds, stay calm. Just stay calm. And remember that we're called to love, folks. And, and if you can't remain calm, it's okay to, stay, to step back until you can get calm. Because when you're flooded, right, all the blood flows out of your brain and to your extremities. It makes you stupid. It just does. So don't argue when you're upset. And I want you to think through your core values, what you really believe as a family, your beliefs, your convictions. And then state them calmly. You don't have to withdraw. And you don't have to try to bully others. You can simply just be who you are. That's what Jesus did, by the way. Right? When Pilate says, are you a king? He says, well, yeah, that's what people say. And then take actions on your beliefs. Live into them. Right? If you think we ought to do more for veterans, get out there and do something for veterans. If you really think that homelessness is a problem... Get involved with the Homeless Alliance. Go figure out how you can be of a help. Don't, don't just talk about it. Move into it. And as you do, I'll be right there with you. Let me know what you want to do. And we try to support every good ministry that comes out of, the, you know, out of the church, out of its people. And then simply refuse to criticize the belief of others. Just don't do it. You don't have to. Or to become involved in emotional debate. And again, that's about being flooded. It's not about not having passion. It's great to have passion. 
But you can't do that if you're not thinking straight. Right? And this, perhaps most of all, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, and for your whole life. You do not need others to change for you to be okay. You really don't. And if you are, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. You just got to know that. You can be okay because Jesus loves you. And he says you're okay. Because he loves you. That you're his. God says, you're my child. You can be okay right where you are, regardless of how those acting around you are acting. You really can. Now, sometimes you need to move for safety, and I get that. But most of the time, right, we get upset for things that aren't a big deal. And you can be okay, even if somebody says something stupid at the Thanksgiving table. You can. Because disagreements are inevitable, and division is a choice. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.